Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. I'm just saying, we all make decisions every day, and people are either excusing behavior, they're, they're you know, torn up inside about, they know it's hurting them, they know it's hurting their family, they know it's hurting the people around them, and they want to stop, but they're not willing to just believe that in a moment it can all change. And I want to say, in Jesus, that's absolute truth. Today we have part two of Your Master Passion. As we go through this study, ask yourself what your master passions are and do they hinder your walk with the Lord? And know this, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, no matter how big they are. Jesus can replace those desires for ones that please Him. You just have to want it. Let's listen in. Then Peter began to say, and you gotta love him, see, we've left all and followed you. He doesn't follow with the words, what's in it for us? Because those are implied in his statement. Look, Lord, we've left all and followed you. Do you know that was absolutely true? They were fishermen, four of them, at least four of them. And he said, come and follow me. And they left their nets. They left their business. They, they left the family and they followed after Jesus. I've noticed over the years that God speaks to a lot of people. Not all of them are young, but a lot of them at least from here, have been young. He spoke to Summer Root and she went off to Ethiopia and served there. Before she left, she sold everything she had. She gave um, most of the money away. I hadn't seen that before. Usually people sell everything and then they use that to help travel. But she just wanted to, to give God all the opportunity and all the glory. So she sells everything and gives it all away. She actually did what this guy was supposed to do, gave it all to the poor. Pastor Jacob, he was very young. He went to Africa, served in Kenya for a while, went there empty and came back full. Went single, brought back a wife and child and been with us the last few years again. Pastor Jacob and, uh, and uh, his lovely wife, Lisa, they went over to Kenya. They've been serving there. He shared here a couple weeks back and the week before. And so anyway, I, I noticed with all of them, they sell stuff on this side and then they go over there when they leave Africa, they just give it all away. They don't sell it and give it to the poor. Everyone's poor around them. They just give everything they have away and then they come back and they, they trust the Lord to give them a, a, some opportunity, some way to provide and, and serve and minister. So, so when Peter says, we've left all and followed you, he's telling the truth. And Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. There are a couple things not here, and then there's something here that's often backburnered or somehow forgotten in sharing these things. One of the things that stands out to me is he mentions a wife. He mentions those things you might leave, house, brother, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands. And listen, lots of people have done it. Pam and I did that. We left everyone, everything, I had an 11-year career, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I just, I knew I was called to the ministry. We moved from where we were living in SoCal up to Yuba City, 
That year, Rand McNally said Yuba City was the worst place to live in the whole United States. And I'm like, nah, it can't be that bad. It wasn't. But it was still a serious culture shock because not only is there no beach in Yuba City, there's just, there wasn't anything in Yuba City back then. Now, it's grown, as all cities up here have, but uh, we ended up leapfrogging a year and a half later, and uh, that, we, we will celebrate 35 years this crisp, or, uh, yeah, this, this Christmas um, here at Calvary Chico. And so, so all that to say this, I know what it is to leave it all behind and to go where you're unknown and to, to just trust the Lord to provide and, and make something happen that only he could make happen. And uh, he's been doing that the whole time and continues to do it. I expect after he brings us back home to him, he will just continue to pour out his spirit on this congregation and community and on the world we're touching uh, through all the people who are going out for us. Well, in any case, there are two things that, that stand out to me in this. And the first is in the, the second list, there, there's no mention of the wife. And he certainly doesn't say wives. T take a look. He said, who shall not receive, verse 30 is where it is, a hundredfold, now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands. By the way, if you're a Christian, and I would assume you are, but let's just say you're not yet, I want to encourage you to take that step, to pray that prayer, to give your life to the one who gave his life for you, to seriously consider there is a God, there is judgment, we all stand before him, and you either will hear, well done, and enter in, or depart from me. Only two options. So, so here's, here's what kind of hit me, is that um, he says, you're going to inherit houses, plural, brothers, plural, sisters, plural, mothers, plural, children, plural, lands, plural. And I found everywhere I've gone in the world, India, I had family there. Oh, not blood family. Family in Christ. And, and the same thing was true in Japan. Same thing is true in Israel. A few years back, last trip to Israel with my pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, pa Don, Don Stewart and I, we took a group to Egypt, to Cairo, and, and to, we saw the pyramids and we saw the, the um, museum there, which so grateful we went when we did because a lot of that stuff's been ravaged and destroyed and all of the, the chaos and confusion there. But, but in the midst of all that, we found people in Egypt that, that loved Jesus and they were kind of quiet about it. It's not the most popular thing to be a Christian in Egypt. We were in Jordan, similar thing. And, and, and the point is everywhere we've gone, we found Christians and everywhere we've gone, we've made Christians. When we were in Cairo, they didn't want to let us do a Sunday service and, and Don was the elder statesman. He helped disciple me. So I'm like, hey, well, go tell them we need to do a service. And we got 80 people here with us. It's going to be Sunday. We're in a hotel. Why can't we do a service? So he goes and says, well, we really need to do a service. And, and, and uh, they're like, no, we're, we're not, it's not safe. There's security issues. We're not going to let it happen. So, so I said, well, who did you talk to? Can I talk to him? And he says, sure, go talk to him. I talked to him. I said, listen, I, I know you guys and, and, and I know you worship. Me worship on Friday and, and not Sunday. And, and I said, is there any conceivable way that you would let security concerns or traffic problems or other issues keep you from worshiping your God on the day he set aside for you to worship? And, and they're like, well, absolutely not. And I said, well, we can't do that either. I said, we, we brought these people here. They're here because they're Christians and we're here because, because the Old Testament, a lot of it happened down here. 
And, and we're, we're studying and, and we need to celebrate that. So they gave us a room in the hotel. They said, we're going to shut the doors though and, and like try not to invite people type thing. And so we couldn't invite people, but we did have a service, but we didn't have a sound man. So they provided the sound man at the end of the service. As I always do, I gave an invitation to receive Christ. The sound man raised his hand and gave his life to the Lord. So even there, we didn't know any Christians, but we, we made a brand new baby one. And then we did meet some people after that were Christians, were able to hook them up. And, and so the point is you have family everywhere if you're in Christ Jesus. And that's what this promise is. But there's something else. He doesn't mention wives. Why? Because Christianity is not the religion where you get a whole bunch of wives after you die. This is the one where you have a wife, one wife, one man, one woman, one husband, one wife for life. And then when you die, you go to heaven. And, and, and so... Anyway, I, I think it's important just to say that, that he's, he's only multiplying those things that'll be pleasing to him. And, and everywhere we go, we have family. And everywhere we go, he says a hundredfold now. And then he says, in the age to come, eternal life. Mark's always about the age to come. He's always looking forward to that day. John's gospel, he's always about now. That's why he says, he who has the son, has life now, presently and eternally. So Peter began to say, as we saw, we've left all. Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna bless you beyond your wildest imagination, multiplying back to you far more than you've ever given up. Verse 32, they're on the road going to Jerusalem. Jesus going before them and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because, well, they were amazed that they were headed to Jerusalem and afraid because they were headed to Jerusalem because they knew everyone, not the common people who heard him gladly, not regular people like us who love him and love his word, love to read and love to hear it, but the religious leaders, the political leaders, there, there was a, a unity brewing among the elite of Israel that we got to stop this guy. We got to stop this guy. He was a threat to all of them, at least in their minds. Sadly, he was their only hope for forgiveness, for salvation, for life eternal. They were amazed and they were afraid. So he takes them aside, the 12, and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Listen, in chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 9, verse 31, make a mental note or put your bulletin there or check it out later. Easy to remember, 831, 931, and here in 1033, he explains what lies ahead. Each time there's more detail. Each time it's more devastating as the description just gets, well, filled with, um, you know, the, the things that they couldn't imagine happening to him. So he says, we're going up to Jerusalem, verse 33. And the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priest and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. So the religious leaders betrayed, condemned, delivered. The Gentiles, they mock, they scourge, they spit upon him and kill him. They will mock him and scourge him and spit upon him and kill him. But that's not the end of the story. The third day, he will rise again. Important to note, he knows exactly what's going to happen to him. And he's trying to prepare them. That's why he starts out, we're going to go up there. It's not going to go real well. You know, I'm going to be handed over. He always tells them he's going to die. 
And they always have the same response. We see it here in the second of the three that come to Jesus, James and John. They come seeking position, primacy, prominence, preeminence in our Lord's coming kingdom. Verse 35, James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. It's like when your kids come and say, hey, can we uh, have something? And you're like, what do you want? And say, well, we can't tell you. We want to know if we can have it first. That's what they're doing. They're saying, will you give us whatever we want? And he said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right hand, the other on your left in your glory. And Jesus says, you do not know what you ask. You don't know what you're, you're saying. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Now, we're not all wired the same, but if I were standing before the Lord and he asked me those questions, I'd say, well, could you clarify the cup and the baptism for me? I know about John's, I know about yours, but what's this new one that I don't know about? He's talking about the cup of his suffering. He's talking about the baptism of his rejection and their hatred and their brutality and his cross. And he's saying, can, can you handle all that? They ask no questions because they're just so laser focused on their goal. They just say, we are able. And Jesus says to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. With the baptism I am baptized, you will be baptized. But, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. It's like, they're like, we want this more than anything. Their master passion was position in the coming kingdom. And he said, well, what about, how about a cup and some, and a baptism? And they're like, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And then, then he's like, okay, well, I can promise you those. The other part, that's not really for me to give. That, that's already, that's the father's, that's his thing. And, and so they, they get what they don't even know is coming. And by the way, James will be martyred. He, he dies by Herod. Herod takes him out, one of the Herods, I believe it's Herod Agrippa, with the sword. Weist in his word study says he was beheaded. I, I couldn't confirm that from anything else. So, so, but, you know, they can stab you with the sword. They can chop you up. They can behead you. He's saying beheaded doesn't really matter to me and it shouldn't matter to you. And it doesn't even matter to James because the moment he breathed his last, he had the experience Paul would later talk about absent from the body, present with the Lord. He looks in their eyes. They take his life. Next thing he knows, he's looking in the eyes of Jesus. Well, they're kind of upset at all of this, as, as you can imagine. Oh, John, exiled to Patmos, this, this desolate penal colony, sort of this island in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, but Jesus shows up and speaks to him, and that's where he gets the book of Revelation. So for him, uh, all this, you know, it, it leads to his explanation. Now, when the 10 heard it, verse 41, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. I like words like that, greatly displeased. They were seriously upset because who were they to ask for those positions? Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that those who were considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. 2,000 years ago, this is written, and I've noticed men and society are still the same. The rulers rule and the, the great ones, they exercise authority. Well, it shall not be so among you. 
He couldn't be clearer. They're not the model. I'm the model. You're not to follow them. You're not to define greatness the way they do. The greatest isn't the one who has the most servants. The greatest is the one who serves the most. And he's the ultimate prototype and example of such things. He says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. I mentioned it when we looked ahead to this passage a couple weeks ago. He's not saying, here's your punishment for wanting to be great. He's saying, here's the path to greatness. It's a far different thing. He's saying, you want to be number one? I'm cool with that. You want to be first? I'm cool with that. Just be first to serve. Be the number one servant. Be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus sets the example. He redefines greatness for them. He exhorts them to serve and suffer as he did. Well, there's always a danger that our master passion will master us. That's what was happening with James and John. And so their blind ambition, and it can't be an accident or a coincidence, it gives way to another man who was physically blind. He's like a physical picture of what was going on with them, spiritually blind, though they're walking with and being discipled by the Lord. And like many others, this guy's going to seize the day, seize the opportunity to be healed. Short story and brings us to the end of our study. The third man, blind Bartimaeus, comes to Jesus seeking sight. His master passion well, he was blind. He was a beggar. He just wanted to be able to see because he knew on the other side of sight, there's work, there's opportunity, there's ministry, there's a lot he could do that his blindness was keeping him from doing. So perhaps sensing the magnitude of the opportunity, we're told they came to Jericho and as he went out of Jericho, so they've come in, they've passed through and they're leaving. This guy somehow senses hey, this could be it. He hears it's Jesus. There's a big group of people following after him and he hears all the noise and he's like, what's up? And they're like, Jesus is passing by. Which Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth. So, so it says they come, they pass through, they're leaving with his disciples in a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. I'd encourage any of you in need of him, his mercy, what he and he alone can provide. Cry out to him today. Say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus, meet with me, love on me, forgive me, my sin. And, and, and well, the thief on the cross, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He cries, Jesus, son of David. It's a messianic title. He has greater insight to who he's standing before than the rich young ruler. Have mercy on me. And many warned him to be quiet. I'm reminded faith in Jesus is always tested. It never goes unopposed. But I also know, and you're aware as well, a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. They're saying, you just quiet down, just stop, stifle, you know, cease and desist. And uh, how does he respond to that? He cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Undeterred, he intensifies his cries. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he's 
calling you. I'd like to join that chorus today and say the same for you. Wherever you're at with him, whatever you think of him, whatever your relationship to him, he's calling you. Come close now. Come close today. Come to the altar. Come to the cross. If you know him, come back. Get closer. If you don't know him, come to him. And in the midst of this, I'm wondering, are these the same people who said, hey, be quiet, be quiet. And then they're like, hey, okay, never mind. He wants you to come over. I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. Throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus, verse 50. And Jesus answered and said, what do you want me to do for you? If that seems like a strange question to you, let me just say he's fond of asking it. He sees a guy who's been hurting for 38 years. It says in some of the, the, the passages, he's impotent or, or paralytic. Anyway, he's, he, he's in pretty bad shape and he's for 38 years suffering and Jesus comes up to him and he says to him, do you want to be made whole? And he does something I've heard so many people do. He starts explaining to Jesus why that's not possible. You see, here's what happens. Every time I try to get it right, every time I try to find forgiveness or find cleansing or hope or health, this always gets in the way. And I've talked to people and they're like, you know, I've been drinking and I'll get sober and then I've binge again and then I've gone to AA, but then I find myself falling back. And they're like, is there anything more I can do? And I'm like, yeah, stop drinking. And they're like, what? How cruel, you know, you make it sound so easy. It actually is easy. They're, and listen, here's the other thing. They're like, you don't understand. I'm an alcoholic. Once I take one drink, I can't stop from taking another. So I'm like, okay, here's a, here's a tip. Don't take the first drink. You have control over that decision. And I'm not trying to be cruel or harsh. I'm just saying, we all make decisions every day. And people are either excusing behavior, they're, they're you know, torn up inside about, they know it's hurting them. They know it's hurting their family. They know it's hurting the people around them. And they want to stop, but they're not willing to just believe that in a moment it can all change. And I want to say in Jesus, that's absolute truth. So in any case here, the, the, the guy, he says, what do you want me to do? The blind man doesn't say, well, you know, I, I don't really know. I've, I don't. He says, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Why is he even asking? He wants to give him a chance, first of all, to testify that he believes that Jesus can give him sight. He wants to give him an opportunity to testify the severity of his situation. I'm blind. I can't work. I can't function. And, and I know who you are. And, and I just want to see. I just want to see. So Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he received his sight, followed Jesus on the road well, one more thing. By the way, that guy at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus says, rise, take your bed and walk. Immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. Why? Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what's your heart's desire, your greatest need, your master passion today? Here's David, Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, and listen, for in the time of trouble, 
He shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me, he shall set me high upon a rock. Whether he was referring to material possessions or not, I'm not sure, but he certainly was referring to his position in life and his accomplishments before he knew Jesus. In Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul says this, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Job security, financial security, social position, for many of us, these may be the last to go. We were able to set aside attributes and attitudes and behaviors and desires that were contradictory to the life of a Christian. But as we grow to know Christ better, even the most difficult things to set aside will become rubbish to us. This comforts me greatly. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.